Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. Um, so last night was an intense night. If you're watching this vlog on the day that it's released, which is November 9th, 2016, you're aware that we had an election here in America last night. Um, that's actually the second <laughs> reason why last night was an intense night for me. Um, for me, last night was an intense night because I binged. So I want to talk to you about the morning after a binge because that's what this is for me today is the morning after a binge. And um, just for those who are putting two and two together, I actually started eating addictively um, before election returns were coming in. So it was not uh, instigated by the election. Um, later in the night, it was fueled by that, <laughs> um, I have to say. <clears throat> but initially, I just ate because I ate. And and I've done some writing today to think about what was going on. We have an amazing tool in the Brightline Eating Bootcamp called the Permission to Be Human Action Plan. And it's a set of 10 questions. They're also in my book, uh, Brightline Eating, The Science of Living Happy, Thin and Free, which is gonna be published March 21st, 2017 by Hay House. I'm excited about that. So the, the, the process I'm about to tell you about is in the book. It's also in the boot camp, And um, it's a set of 10 questions that you ask yourself, ideally in writing, ideally longhand. There's research, brain research that shows that when you actually put pen to paper and write longhand, different parts of the brain and different emotional processes and different memory retrieval processes are activated than when you type. So when I have um, reflective writing that I need to do, I always do it with a pen and paper, even though I can type you know, easily twice as fast as I can write, maybe three times faster. I'm a fast typist, but um, I put pen in, in my hand and I write. Um, and so I was reflecting about what happened. Uh, what happened was that uh, I had written down all three of my meals for the day. I ate all three of my meals for the day. I was stressing about some videos that I needed to shoot, this one and a few others. Um, and I had not, we have company in our house and um, when people are walking around, I can't shoot video um, because it makes noise. And um, so I was kind of stressing about needing to shoot these videos. And in general, I was stressing too much, just not from conflict or negativity, but just from the too muchness of everything in my life, especially right now. It's been too much for over two years, um, but uh, the last month has been especially bad. And the last two weeks have been especially bad. Um, some of it is that the book is back in my possession. It has to be proofread, copy edited. Um, I've got a deadline for that. Um, acknowledgements have to be written, endorsements have to be secured, all of that sort of, you know, the, the front cover flap and the, all of this extra copy needs to be written in all of this stuff. Um, and I'm doing two, three, four radio interviews um, a day and some TV interviews thrown in there. And it's just a lot right now, juggling all of those appointments, podcast interviews, summit interviews. And, um, you know, one of my daughters isn't doing great right now. And I'm my heart is breaking for her. She's struggling a little bit and um, just a lot going on. Again, we have company. So, um, so I was writing about all that, that that's some of what happened as I was overloaded. I was feeling a little stressed and it makes me reflect back to my origins, um, eating this way, no sugar, no flour, 
eating only three meals a day, eating only at mealtime, and bounding the quantities by weighing the food with a digital food scale. I started doing that in a 12-step program for food addiction back in 2003. And I had stretches of perfection with that way of eating. I think my longest stretch was, I don't remember, it was either six years or eight years. I can never quite remember. I know the date, so if I put together a timeline, I could figure it out. I think it was six something years. Um, and I had other stretches that were a year or two years, lo lots of longevity with um, just being in a perfect routine with eating my meals and not having any cravings and living my life, not thinking twice about it. And in that 12-step community, the people who were in it the longest and who sort of passed down to the rest of us how to do this, they used to say that you couldn't have what they called a big life um, and be a recovering food addict, that they were incompatible, that you couldn't be an actress or you couldn't be a motivational speaker or you couldn't... Um, uh, be a CEO of a company. Um, I, I even had one sponsor once caution me against just being a working mom. You know, she said, pick one. You can't do both. Um, and be a recovering food addict. And it's true that the way I, uh, I worked my program when I was in that program and the way other people did took 20, 30 hours a week. Um, so it, it was like an extra part-time job and doing it on top of uh, family and, um, and work was, it was a lot. It often felt like too much. And so they would say, you can't have a big life. You need, you need to have a, a small life because you have a sensitive nervous system and you're a, a recovering food addict and um, you have to prioritize that. So when people would come into the program and they would have um, a vacation planned, um, they would often be told, you have to cancel that vacation. Like there's no way to set up this, um, you know, this, your recovery essentially and um, stop eating sugar and flour and et cetera. Um, and throw a trip into the mix of that. Just, no, cancel that trip. And sometimes newcomers would balk at that and they would say, well, uh, I'm not joining this program then because my family and I have tickets to Europe and we're going and I'm not canceling that trip. And, and then their sponsor would say, well, you're not willing, you're not taking your disease seriously enough. And they would say, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not doing this program then. Or sometimes they would acquiesce and cancel their trip. So anyway, I was reflecting on that and obviously I have not um bought in to the you have to have a small life if you're a recovering food addict um line of thinking but i have to say that reflecting on the last couple of years i can see why they said that because the 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 muchness of my life the too muchness of my life has definitely pushed me to the fringe to the edge um and i have picked up the food addictively um here and there and I haven't gained my weight back and I haven't um, uh, I haven't ever felt out of the game you know like down and out or um, uh, like like what I was doing was fundamentally not working or not going to work for me but I have had moments of um, pain and uh, well, anyone who's a 10 on the susceptibility scale like I am knows that when you're eating addictively, life is no fun. Um, life feels very swollen <laughs> and very um, sick and very, um, ugh, it's awful, right? I mean, just, just, just forcing my body to process that kind of food, the food that I eat on a binge, it's, it's not good. Um, and um, at the same time, 
I have this distinct feeling, and I've, I think I've shared this in vlogs before, you know, months and months and months ago where I was talking about breaking my bright lines, um, that I have the feeling that I am doing research on behalf of lots of people, kind of, you know. Um, one of the things I'm doing is I'm figuring out actually how to shore up my bright line eating program at the fringes so that when I'm pushed to the edge by over busyness and over commitment, um, that I'm more likely to keep to my bright lines. And I, I shored a bunch of things up a while ago and that has resulted in a stretch of five or six months of not breaking my bright lines. And, um, one of the things that I changed and one of the things that I did is I decided to weigh and measure my food even in restaurants which is not something that I usually recommend to people. Usually I say, if you're in a restaurant, don't bring your scale, just eyeball your quantities. What I'm finding for myself is that the number of decisions I have to make on a daily basis for my family and my team and the Bright Line Eating business leaves me in a state of chronic, constant willpower depletion. And I am just about never mentally fit to estimate my quantities. <laughs> I'm just not. Um, so I bring a scale, even in restaurants. And what I've discovered is people don't usually notice. Um, I've, I've even been to, you know, on a double date with a couple's dinner party with like four of us at a restaurant, a Japanese restaurant, where they were bringing little plates of food to the table. And one, one by one, I was weighing them and adding it up. I think I used my smartphone to add up and make sure that I ate the right quantities and stuff. And um, we were sitting with someone and, and, uh, one person was commenting, or I, I brought it up actually, and um, and they said, oh yeah, like you're weighing your food. And the other person said, you're what? What do you mean? How do you weigh your food in a restaurant? I said, well, I'm doing it right now. And they said, what do you mean? And I lifted up my plate and there was the scale underneath it. They didn't even notice that whole time. We were like an hour into the meal. Anyway, so weighing my food in restaurants is one of the things that I have started to do because it supports my recovery. Um, and from this binge yesterday, I have learned some more things that I need to do. So when I journaled just now with the permission to be human action plan, I was writing about some of the things that I was doing that were triggering me. And one of the things is um, I had started uh, exercising pretty intensely, lifting weights in particular. And um, I was um, listening to my personal trainer and using a before and after protein shake, Nothing, no sweeteners at all, um, pure protein powder, and a banana, that was it. And um, I do think that it was triggering me a little bit. It was an experiment. You know, the people who taught me how to eat like this, they're like, no smoothies, no shakes, no protein powders ever, period. And at the same time, I never knew anyone that actually tried it. And um, in the spirit of scientific inquiry, I decided, um, you know, both to bolster the amount of muscle that I was building and to fuel my body appropriately. Part of my reasoning was that if I give my body enough nutrition around the workout, um, I can hopefully offset some of the crazy hunger that can set in at other times that might lead me to break my bright lines at other times. So part of it was a protective measure. Part of it was also I really wanted to see what it felt like in my brain. And I did notice that it was a little triggering. And let me describe what that looks like for those of you who are high on the susceptibility scale. I was supposed to have a shake before my workout and a shake after my workout. The before workout shake, my trainer said, it'd be ideal if I could sort of drink it during the workout, sort of fuel the workout itself. And then a shake no more than 15 minutes after the workout. So what I found was I would make my two shakes. I would, I would go into my basement where we've got a little gym set up with some dumbbells and I would do my workout and I would drink my before shake in the first 10 minutes of my workout, and then I couldn't stop. 
and I would get my second shake and drink that in the next 10 minutes of the workout. So I'm 20 minutes into my 45 minute workout and both shakes are already gone. Um, and that's, that's a key sign. Now that's just kind of how I am. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm just a wicked hope to die food addict. When I start eating, I don't stop until the food's gone. So the way around that would have been to not make the aftershake until after. But, but it was a little bit of a clue that, you know, as I was drinking it, there was something in my brain going, this is good. I want more of this. This is good. I want more of this. So anyway, as of today, I commit to no more workout shakes. And, um, for all of, all those of you who have questioned the protein shake thing, what I want to say about it is, um, I think that it, in my experience, I, I've been doing it for a couple months already, and it, it was mostly working pretty well. I think if I were lower on the susceptibility scale, it would have been fine. So I think my estimation is if you're in the high range, like let's say seven or higher on the susceptibility scale, probably don't mess with it. If you're lower on the susceptibility scale, it's probably fine. And if you want to work, use that kind of nutrition to fuel your workouts, you know, it's probably okay. So anyway, did that research, <laughs> check. Um, and then the other thing was I've developed, and here I have to go here, <coughs> I've developed this persistent dry cough. I seem to get it this time of year. I remember other years having it. And um, in the 12-step program for food addiction that I was in back in the day, um, a mistake, in my opinion, in their program is that they allowed artificial sweeteners. Now, the research is very clear on this. For, for addiction, artificial sweeteners are a no-go. They, they absolutely activate the addictive centers in the brain. Let me just give you a little example. Um, one of the great rat studies that shows that um, sugar is more addictive than heroin was done by pre-addicting rats to intravenous cocaine. Oh, sorry, not heroin, cocaine. They pre-addicted rats to intravenous cocaine. They shot them up with cocaine over and over and over again. And then they gave them a forced choice test between cocaine, another shot of cocaine, or sugar water. And the rats chose the sugar water. And it works with saccharin water too. So artificially sweetened water does it. The artificial sweetener goes straight to the addictive centers of the brain. So this 12-step this food program that was allowing artificial sweeteners, in my estimation, that's a mistake. It's setting people up for failure. And in truth, the vast majority of people who'd been, you know, abstaining from sugar and flour for a long time in that program didn't use artificial sweeteners anymore because they got in trouble at some time or another with diet soda or gum or mints or any and all of the above. They stopped using that stuff. So anyway, um, cough drops, sugar-free, halls, high menthol content, as unsweet as possible, but they're sweetened, artificially sweetened cough drops medicinally. I was using them because I was doing coaching calls and coughing up a lung in the background, like putting myself on mute, coughing, coughing, coughing. And I would, I would take a cough drop. It was like the only way to get the inflammation in the back of my throat calmed down. So I'd started cough drops maybe, I don't know, five days ago, six days ago, something like that. Um, I have to say honestly that I did not take one single cough drop with an intent to use. I was really pure in my motives, using it only when I could not stop coughing um, and I needed to stop coughing to do my work, um, to do an interview, to do whatever. So anyway, um, I think it was triggering. 
I really do. And um, I'm now online and talking with people about other ways to manage a persistent dry cough. I have looked into that and I need to look harder. It's really interesting when you throw up that bright line, like here I am saying, okay, no cough drops. I can't, I can't, even medicinally, I can't do them. Um, all of a sudden, other ideas come to the fore. Like I was gargling, I couldn't sleep last night. I was not just because of the binge, but also because I couldn't stop coughing. And I was coughing all night long. And I finally got up out of bed and I started gargling with hot salt water. And then I put some um, red wine vinegar in it. And I was gargling with hot, salty, vinegary water. And I think it helped a little bit. So, and then I'm Googling camphor oil, humidifier treatments and whatever. There's, there's other options. So anyway, I'm journaling. This is the stuff that's coming out is I've been stretching the boundaries and doing things that are triggering me. Another thing that's been triggering is condiments. I've been using too many condiments, mustard, nutritional yeast, a little vinegar, but mostly in combination with the nutritional yeast is the big one. I got to get that stuff out of the house. I did get that stuff out of the house. I gave it to my mom. I said, take this stuff out of the house. I am abusing this nutritional yeast. And then my dad shows up for a visit. And, and within a couple of days, he says, honey, do you have any nutritional yeast? Because <laughs> he likes to use it on his food. I was like, yeah. so we got him some nutritional yeast. But that was my saboteur going, get it back in the house, get it back in the house. Cause when a meal is over and you're, you don't feel done eating, you can pour nutritional yeast in a bowl and put some vinegar in it and eat it with a spoon. And it just extends the meal for just that little bit. Like I'm crazy like that. So I got to get that nutritional yeast back out of the house. Sorry, dad. So I want to talk about, um, what I've been kind of skirting above the surface of, which is the emotional side of this. I'm sure if you ponder for a hot second, you can imagine that it's not comfortable for me to come on camera and talk about a binge that I had last night. I feel like I'm supposed to be the spokesperson for bright lines and for sticking with them no matter what and having them be really bright. And I got to tell you, I feel really committed to that. This is me doing my best at that. No joke. And it's not easy to have my trajectory be less than perfect on that, to stumble on that. And part of me, when I reflect on that deeply, I think to myself, like, if, if my wisest, highest self were in some kind of detached universe picking a path and saying, you know, here you are going to be a, a, a figurehead for bright line eating. Do you want your path to be perfect bright lines for decades and decades, or do you want it to be punctuated sometimes by breaks in the bright lines? If I were being wise, I might choose the path with breaks. In the sense that for people who experience breaking their bright lines, I think it's really helpful to have a model of what it looks like to not let that take you out of the game. To have a model of what it looks like to show back up and resume. Because the 108 million Americans who are dieting and trying four and five new attempts each year, by and large, aren't learning how to resume. 
They're learning how to start a diet and then go off a diet and quit. And then every time they start again, it's back to square one. And not that bright line eating is a diet. I don't think of it like that. I think of it as an identity and a lifestyle and a, a, a way of life. But it's a whole different set of skills to start on a path. And when things get wonky, like sometimes really wonky, to just conceptualize yourself still being on that path and moving forward, you know, fall down seven times, get up eight. It's a lot prettier and nicer to just start over. Just, I just want it to be perfect. So I just want to start over day one, just squeaky clean. Just, I'm going to do it right this time. For a lot of us, it just never is going to be perfect. <laughs> so figuring out how to allow ourselves to stumble and then pick up right where we are and start from there is such a helpful skill to have. And I guess if I need to be a model of something, being a model of that is helpful. You know, it reminds me of... um this book that I read and, and this dialogue that I remember reading about in a book, I, it was during a time in my life when I was um, learning about white privilege and I was thinking about myself as a white person in a society that has a lot of racial stuff, you know, in our society. And, and I was thinking about my whiteness and the privileges that have been conferred upon me that I'd always just taken for granted and never really thought of because I'm white. And so I was reading books about this. Um, uh, I was reading a book called Racism Without Racists, an incredible book. I was reading a book called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? And I think that's the book that this line was in. It, it was a mom um, talking about a conversation she'd had with her biracial daughter. So she had a daughter who was half black, half white. And the mom was telling her daughter about her identity. And she said, honey, you are black and white. You are both. And... I want you to feel both and identify with both and be both. But if you ever feel pressed for whatever reason in a moment to choose, choose the black because that's the part of you that needs the most sticking up for. And in our Bright Line Eating community, we are a mix of people who start bright line eating and never break their bright lines. And I just want to say that that is um, true in our community. We have a lot of people who start doing this and it just works. They don't have lives that are crazy, as crazy as mine, probably. Um, they start doing this and within, you know, an average normal range of human um, daily experiences, it's actually really possible to just stick with your bright lines and never break. And we have those people in our community, right? We have this segment of our population that are just perfect with their bright lines from day one. It's awesome. And we have another segment of our community that experiences breaking their bright lines, some more than others, some really chronically struggle, and some have a break or two and get right back. You know, there's every version, every permutation of that that you can imagine in our community. And I guess, you know, as, as, a figurehead of bright line eating, a spokesperson or whatever, you know, um, I guess if I have to be an example of one of those, 
I should be the example of the one that needs the more sticking up for. And I'll tell you, it's not easy to resume your bright lines when what you really want to be is perfect at it. It's hard. Um, I still wish that I were the perfect variety. And I've, I've done that for, like I said, I think, I think at my longest it was six or eight years. I know what that's like to just live for years. And uh, it's not my story today. So, you know, the other thing I see in there is just loving what is, which is a great Byron Katie book title, Love, Loving What Is. This is what is. Like, I can't, I can't have any night for last night other than, you know, what I had, which was a big fat binge. Like, it just was. So today, my only choice is to love what is. I mean, I guess I could hate what is. I could just wake up, you know, and roil against the reality and think, oh no, I have to record a vlog and how can I possibly get on camera and show up and say anything because, you know, I binged last night and, you know, instead I thought, well, <laughs> love what is. I binged last night and I got to shoot a vlog today. So I guess that's the topic of the vlog because I can't show up authentically and really talk about anything else, you know? Um, so... <laughs> Our process for resuming involves four S's, speed, social support, self-love, and seeking the lesson. And in terms of speed, you know, I just want to say, yo, you know, I was binging at one o'clock in the morning last night and I woke up and I had a Brightline breakfast. I had my food written down. I had a Brightline lunch. I'm going to have a Brightline dinner. So that's pretty good in terms of speed. Um, second, spe speed, social support. You know, this morning... In Bright Lifers, which is our um, support group for after the boot camp ends, we've got, you know, all these amazing, amazing Bright Lifers in our Bright Lifers community. And I've been offering them every single morning an accountability call, which is a phone call for 15 minutes. It's a group call. Anyone who wants to hop on it can join. And um, we just go through some accountability questions like, did you stick with your bright lines last night? And have you written down your food? And have you meditated? And um, that kind of stuff. And um, on the call this morning, I talked about my binge last night and I got some support. I had someone coach me. <laughs> I had one of our Bright Lifers coach me. I was like, I could use some coaching this morning. And I got myself some love. I got myself some social support. In terms of self-love, I guess I'm pretty blessed. I don't, I don't have a big um, self-loathing, self-flagellation thing going on in my head. And I, 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 I guess I attribute that to, you know, 25 years of therapy and 21 years of 22 years now of working the 12 steps and um, all my issues. I just worked through them. And um, I don't, I don't begrudge myself my path, you know, it's just my path. I mean, fuck, what are you going to do? You know, like, you know, I can only do so much. I'm doing the best I can. I know that I'm doing the best I can. So, you know, um, I don't have a like, you know, you're a failure sort of nag. I don't have that. Uh, thank God. And mostly what I do when I get in trouble like this is I just rally to get myself resources. So this morning I took a nap. I haven't taken a nap in, I can't even tell you how long. It was so good. And I made phone calls to people who love me and support me. And, um, and I took baby steps to have a good day, you know, um, to do the things that I need to do so I don't feel more overwhelmed and further behind. And, and it's been a good day so far. And then finally, seek the lesson. That's the writing that I did on that permission to be human action plan. And, and what I realized, there were like nine or 10 things that I realized you know, I mentioned a few of them, the cough drops, the shakes, the whatever, all that's gone. Like, 
committed, out, condiments, bum, done. And um, there were like nine or ten things, though, that I realized that my program could be shored up. And, um, and so I just want to pivot to the end of this vlog here. It's a long vlog. Thank you for watching. Um, by just talking a little bit about that last point, um, about looking at the lesson, seeking the lesson. And I do kind of want to pull this around to the election, but probably not in the way that you're fearing. I'm not going to talk politics with you. But uh, what I do want to say about seeking the lesson is that if things are great, then they're great. We get to rejoice. That's a good thing. And I think that joy is part of our birthright. So if you're happy about the election, awesome. When I have a bright line day, awesome. When things are not great, so if you're not happy about the election, or if you binge last night, um, then what you have is an opportunity. Because when things go down, we get motivated to make changes. I mean, if, if the world has learned anything from all of us addicts, it's that spiraling downward is not necessarily a bad thing. Because you got to hit bottom before you're willing to make change. So, yeah, it's okay. So whatever your version of spiraling down is, just trust. It's going to be okay. Everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to. You know, and I don't want to say that everything that happens is for the best. We all know that certain things in human history, the Holocaust, for example, were not for the best. Not everything that happens is for the best, but some people are able to make the best of things that happen. So who are you going to be today? Somebody who loves the people around them and sticks with their bright lines and has a good day and focuses on our commonalities and trusts that all is fundamentally well. It always has been. It always will be. It is today. All is fundamentally well. That's the kind of person I'm going to be today. I'm going to be loving the, the people around me, no matter what their beliefs, no matter what their attitudes, no matter how they feel today. I'm going to be loving the people around me, spreading goodness and taking care of myself. So thanks for listening. That was this week's vlog from the morning after a binge. And if you have anything you would like me to address on the weekly vlog, just send it in. I'm at Susan at I'll see you next week.